The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. One of the most notorious catastrophes of the 20th century was the sinking of the Titanic when it collided with an iceberg and went down. And it's, I think, many reasons why it's infamous. Part of the reason is it just the idea just captured the imagination of people really all over the world. I mean, it has been, um, it, it's been researched and there's been documentaries and stories and pictures and depictions. It's really captured the imagination of, uh, of many people. And, um, and they say, they, as you probably know, they found the wreckage at the bottom of the ocean. They actually know where it is. They've actually been down to, to explore it and to research it. And they're saying that the wreckage is deteriorating so rapidly that it's only going to be there for a couple more decades. And so there is a, a travel group that is offering to, if you buy a ticket, they will put you in this little submarine and they'll take you down to the ocean floor and you can actually be with scientists in the submarine as they're inspecting the wreckage. I think we actually have a picture of kind of how they depict what this would look like. Um, Yeah, you can see that little submarine there. And so they will take you down into the deeps of the ocean two miles under the surface of the water. Which if you're like me, you're already saying, I'm out. No thanks. I mean, that, that, that picture's depicted all nice and illuminated. It's pitch black down there, by the way. I didn't know if you knew that. And so you're going down into the depths, and it's pitch dark, and you're just in this little tiny submarine that could collapse at any second. Uh, I'm out, okay? But some of you may hear that and be like, that sounds incredible. I would so do that. Well, good news, they're starting those trips this upcoming summer, okay? So if you're interested, start saving up. The tickets are a little bit expensive. They're um, just over $100,000 per ticket, so... If you and a friend want to go, I just put some money aside, okay, starting now for this summer. But they will take you down to inspect that. Now, there's just so much interest in the sinking of the Titanic. And in any research that I have have just seen, whether it's a documentary or a story about it or whatever, I've never heard anyone report about what happened to the iceberg. Seems like people are completely unconcerned with what happens with the iceberg. And I think that is maybe obvious for a couple reasons. One... Who cares? It's just a piece of ice, okay? And two, I think most people are operating under the assumption that the iceberg's probably okay. I mean, think about that. If a ship is colliding with an iceberg, even though one is steel and one is ice, if it's boat versus berg, my money's on the berg, okay? I think that the, the, Titanic might, the Titanic sunk, but I don't think anyone believes that the iceberg also sunk and went down to the bottom of the ocean. Why? Because there's one famous thing about icebergs. One thing that you probably know about icebergs. Bring, bring up our, our picture about icebergs. There's one thing you know about an iceberg is you may think you're running into a mound of ice or a mountain of ice, But what is it about an iceberg that we all know? There is an even greater mountain underneath the surface. Most of the iceberg is what runs down into the deeps, into the depths. 
So there's something that, about that. It's what runs down under the surface that keeps it afloat. Now, something we know from our own, each of us, from our own life experiences is that it's a very rare season of life, if ever, where all of life is smooth sailing, where every category of life just seems to be peaceful and calm. There is at least always some part of life where the seas are choppy, where the storm clouds are rolling in, where we're trying to navigate through and avoid collisions. And there may be something like that you walked in with today, where you walked in like, look, if I'm honest, man, there is a there is an obstacle here in a relationship or here at work or here financially or here medically. There is some choppy waters that I'm I am just trying to stay afloat. Well, the premise of this series is the way to be unsinkable, the way to strengthen our faith to be unsinkable has more to do with what goes under the surface. So often we're concerned with the things on the surface and it's not that those aren't important. But the things that run deep in our life, our belief system, some of the deepest questions that maybe we never stop to think about are things that in a collision, in a crisis, immediately become relevant and come to the surface. We're going to look at a story today of someone who's in the middle of a crisis, and as they're trying to avoid a collision, that part of their life that runs deep, that they would have probably thought is impractical, like not really that big of a deal, but it's part of the framework of what they believe, part of their belief system, immediately became relevant. It's what this person believed about the nature of truth itself. We're gonna take a look at this story. It's in John chapter 18. If you have a Bible or Bible app, open to John chapter 18. I wanna look at this together. We're going to look at verse 30, 33. We're going to jump right into the middle of the story, and then we'll back out and just kind of get a little context here. Here's what it says. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Now just pause this conversation here for a second. Let's just kind of zoom out. Um, what's going on here? Jesus is on trial. He's standing before the, the Roman governor of the region. The Roman emperor himself has placed Pilate in this position. Jesus was arrested the night before by the religious leaders of the day. They, have, they put him on trial, falsely accused him, um, passed him over to another group, and then now to Pilate. Now it is Friday morning. By within just a few hours... Jesus will be hanging on a cross. He will die on that cross on this day. And before nightfall, he will be buried in a tomb. And as you may be uh, aware, these uh, eyewitness accounts here in the Bible are consistent in that on the third day, these followers of Jesus who saw him dead and ran for their lives saw Jesus 
alive again. The tomb was empty. They saw him alive. Literally hundreds saw him alive. And they're saying, it's, it's incredible. We saw him dead, and then we saw him alive. And so what the testimony of this, uh, of books like John and others, is that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He was not just a rabbi. He was the Messiah. More than that, he was God himself in the flesh. He was the Son of God, and he defeated death. And so in this moment, this is a critical moment. This is moments before he's sentenced to be crucified. He's standing before Pilate. And Pilate has had Jesus delivered to him. And he says by by two different groups, we'll talk about that in a second. And he says, um, so are you the king of the Jews? Which is kind of interesting. Of all of the false accusations that have been leveraged against, leveled against Jesus over the last few hours, this is the one piece that's actually true. Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? But Jesus answers that a little differently than Pilate's expecting. In fact, Jesus answers it brilliantly. All he says is, is this coming from you, Pilate, or is this coming from someone else? Why is that just the perfect answer? Because the real answer for Pilate is, well, yes, and also no. Yes, he is the king of the Jews in that he is a direct descendant from King David. He is in David's lineage. He is an extension of the Davidic dynasty there in Israel. So yes, and also Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises to David. So yes, in a, at a level that Pilate could never imagine, yes, Jesus is the king of the Jews. But there's a sense in which what Pilate is really after is, are you trying to enthrone yourself here on earth? Are you trying to overthrow the current rulers? Because these Roman governors, one of the main things they had to do is keep order, make sure there are no riots, no rebellions, no insurrections. He has to make sure he puts that down. So Jesus, are you trying to make yourself king? So when Jesus says, "Um, did someone else ask you this? He's avoiding that question. Then he goes on to say, look, Pilate, what you need to know is my kingdom is not of this world. He says, if it was, my followers would be trying to break down your house right now to free me. He says, do you see any of my armies outside trying to overthrow any governments? See, what Jesus knows is that his army is in heaven. The heavenly armies who are restraining themselves because they know that Jesus is fulfilling his purpose. So what Pilate has said, so this is an interesting conversation. We stopped right in the middle, and before we go on, we've got to look at what Pilate's context is that he's dealing with, because Pilate is in a very precarious situation right at this moment. There's an angry mob outside that just wants Jesus dead. If you notice what Pilate said is, he said, your people and your chief priests delivered you to me. Jesus has already gone through two groups. First, let's talk about the religious elite that carry a lot of power in Jerusalem. It's what's called the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These two groups um, are constantly at war with each other within the Sanhedrin. They disagree on how to interpret the Old Testament, and so they're always trying to get power over each other, but in this one moment, Their purposes have aligned. They're unified. They're unified about wanting Jesus dead, which is terribly ironic because here's these religious leaders who spend their lives trying to interpret and debating about the interpretation of the Old Testament, 
and they are together unified to see the one that all the Old Testament points to. They want him dead. They spend their lives interpreting the Old Testament and the interpretive key to the Old Testament, they want executed. The Sanhedrin had Jesus arrested, falsely accused, then they send him to Herod. Herod is, a, is also a ruler that Pilate has to deal with in the region and he comes from a long line of Herods. He's part of what's known as the Herodian dynasty. His, and the, and the, the, this particular family, this particular dynasty is notorious for their political maneuvering. In fact, this current Herod that Jesus had just met with, his grandfather, Herod the Great, who was alive when Jesus was born, he actually had two of his own sons executed because he was paranoid that they were going to try and overthrow him. The current Herod that Jesus just met with, the one that's referred to in this passage, the current Herod actually stole the wife of one of his relatives and banished his other wife, which got him in all kinds of hot water. And he eventually has a new emperor in Rome that banishes that Herod. And the insinuation in history is that that emperor actually ends up having Herod executed in banishment and exile. But that's not who Pilate's really worried about. He's got to deal with those two groups. He's really worried about the fact that he's got Rome at his back. He's appointed by the emperor. And I want you to think about what you know about Roman politics. You've got generals, emperors, senators that are literally waiting for an opportunity to actually literally stab each other in the back. There's assassinations, there's lies, there's slander. I mean, it is just a snake pit of politics and power grabbing. And so let me just tell you, just so you understand the, the situation and context Pilate finds himself in, let me tell you how Pilate's career plays out. Years from this moment, there is a, uh, a rebellion that rises up in the territory that Pilate successfully puts down, and you'd think that he'd get the applause from Rome, but then he gets accused of being too violent in how he puts down that rebellion. And a new emperor arises that forces Pilate to commit suicide. I just want us to appreciate Pilate is, his world is just trying to maneuver through these groups, okay? You might remember that. Remember that TV show back in the day? It might actually still be on. I don't know. But remember that TV show, Survivor? You remember all these people locked on this island and they constantly have these little alliances? But make no mistake, they might be an alliance, but they are not friends, Right? Because if you're friends with people, you're going to be toast. I mean, you're out. I mean, the nice guy loses in this show, okay? This is Pilate's world. Constant alliances, backstabbing. You can't trust anyone. You are not just trying to stay on the island. You're trying to stay in power. You're trying to stay alive. The game for Pilate is survival. Now look how this conversation between Jesus and Pilate plays out. We're going to pick it up in verse 37. <clears throat> then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, for, th for, um, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? 
After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, watch this, I find no guilt in him. Jesus said, here was my purpose on earth. I am here to bear witness to to the truth. And Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Now, is this like an honest, sincere question? Like, is Pilate like, no, seriously, like, I want to know. Like, can you tell me what truth is? Well, notice that right after he says that, he walks out the door. He's not waiting for an answer. This question's got sarcasm in it. It's a mockery. He's laughing in Jesus' face. He's saying, oh, really, truth? You're here to bear witness to the truth? What is truth? And walks out the door. And then notice what he says next. He goes out before the angry mob and he says, I find no guilt in this man. I know this man's innocent. Now let me ask you a question. Why is Pilate walking out and saying that to the angry crowd? If he knows the man's innocent, he's talking to the wrong group. Tell Jesus. Hey man, I find you innocent, you're free. And then walk out to the crowd and say, hey guys, sorry to disappoint you. The man is clearly innocent. I don't know what you're talking about, but I let him go. He's not let him go. What does that mean? He's, he knows he's innocent, but he's walking out. Why? He's walking out to negotiate. He doesn't care that he's literally actually innocent. He's walking out to have a conversation. He's walking out to maneuver. Here's what Pilate, he's in this moment of crisis, what runs deep in his life, his belief system down deep in his life is being revealed. He actually states it and then demonstrates it. He says, what is truth? And then he demonstrates that he doesn't really He doesn't really care that much about truth. He cares more about survival. He looks in Jesus' face and says, truth? Listen, Rabbi, you might go around studying the Torah or whatever, but in my position, I don't have the luxury of truth. For me, you want to know my truth is Jesus? My truth is survival. I've got this group and this group in Rome. I'm just trying to stay alive. That's my truth. See, here's what, Pilate's saying. For him, I mean, if he was all about standing for truth, he would have freed Jesus. But for Pilate, truth is negotiable. Truth is something he can form and manipulate and bend and stretch. Truth is something that he can mold around how he can avoid the obstacles he wants. Truth is something he can concoct, choose for himself, that he can manifest as he's thinking about what is going to be my truth. Truth for Pilate, in other words, truth is something. Pilate doesn't submit to truth. Truth submits to Pilate. For him, truth is something he can look inside and find. It's not something external that he conforms to. Now there's an unbelievable irony about the fact that Pilate is kind of mocking Jesus here by saying, truth, what is truth? There's unbelievable irony that he said this. And I want to show you what I mean by that. I want to read you, I want to just read to you what Jesus said. These are his own words. This is a, a few chapters earlier. He's talking to his disciples. He says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. Did you notice what Jesus said right there? He didn't say, I know the truth. 
He didn't say, I have found the truth. He didn't say, I can teach you the truth. I mean, any one of those are huge, massive statements, right? And that's a bold statement if you say that, I know the truth. What Jesus actually said was something far bigger than that. He said, I am the truth. I am it. I embody it. And here's what that does when it comes to truth. I mean, when it comes to that statement, that kind of leaves us with no middle ground about our opinion about Jesus. It it kind of leaves us unable to say, well, I'm not sure what I think about, you know, what I told all that I believe about Jesus, but I think he was a pretty good guy. I mean, I think he was a good teacher. I think he was a good religious leader, you know, kind of revolutionary in some of the things that he said. I mean, we can't just say that about Jesus because either he is everything he said he was, he is the embodiment of truth, or he's delusional, maybe crazy. I mean, he forces us to kind of go one or the other by his statements. He's saying, I embody the truth. So having Jesus and Pilate standing here in this moment, Jesus' view of truth is that he is it. It's not, truth is not something Pilate can come up with, can mold, can shape, can stretch for his own purposes. Truth is something outside of Pilate that Pilate has to submit to. Truth is not something found inside, it's something found outside according to what Jesus teaches. It's not something we find inside of us. Now there's parts of our life that that is just so obvious. Like let me just give you an example. I want you to imagine you're going on a date and guys, you're, you're taking your, your girlfriend or your wife out on a date, and you guys get in the car, and uh, you say, um, hey, let's go to that little Italian restaurant. You, you know that, that little one that we like? Let's go to that little Italian restaurant on 57th and Main. And your wife or your girlfriend says, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but that's not on 57th and Main. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know right where it is. No, no, it's not there. That, you're thinking of there's a barber shop right there, but that's not the Italian restaurant. That's not where, where it is. Look. I think I know where the Italian restaurant is, okay? I know right where it gets there. Okay, I hear you, but maybe just look on your GPS. Do you want to just pull it up and look just to make sure? Listen, woman, I am a GPS, okay? (laughs) I don't need to be looking this up on my phone, okay? I know where the restaurant is. In fact, I'm going to show you. And then you get, you start the car, you drive, like, I'm going to show you. This is an Italian restaurant right here, barbershop. I can't believe it. And you pull up to 57th and Main, and if you're like me, you live with, you have the trial of living with a woman of superior intelligence. You immediately regret how aggressively you insisted that you knew where the Italian restaurant was because you look at the corner and it is a barber shop to your horror, okay? And at that moment, you have the humbling position of having to admit that even though you were sure on the inside of something, reality played out differently, and now you have to submit to what is out, you have to change your opinion of what is at the corner of 57th and Main, okay? And, and many of us have probably, or maybe some of us have walked through that uncomfortable situation, okay? But I'm willing to bet that almost none of us did this. You pulled up, stopped the car, got out, walked into the barber shop, sat down in the chair, the barber says, what'll it be? And you say, I'll take some spaghetti and meatballs, like some garlic rolls, let's just start off with some calamari, okay? Like, there comes a point when it doesn't matter how much you want to believe it's an Italian restaurant, it is a barbershop, okay? And the more you insist on it, she's like, see, it's a barbershop. 
it, that's an Italian, she's like, look, it's got the spinny thing in front. No, that is an Italian restaurant. At some point, your spouse is getting concerned about your mental health, okay? Because at some point, it becomes delusional. Here's what we know, like, there is truth, and there is reality, and it doesn't matter how much we want to believe something, at some point, we collide with the reality, and we have to conform what is inside. We have to submit what we wanted to believe. We have to surrender that to the reality that is. But there's a whole part of our life, and there's a whole movement in our culture that insists on exactly the opposite. In fact, the entire industry, almost the entire industry of self-help, most of life coaching is built on this principle of self-actualization. Look inside, what is it that you believe? What is it that you want? What are your goals? What's your identity? What is it that you believe is your destiny? Look inside and discern it. And then we'll help you manifest it and bring it to reality. There's a whole movement in our society that says you find your own truth. And it's saying truth is not necessary. You're not bound by truth on the outside. You can determine truth by what's inside. You find your own truth and live by it. Don't let anyone else define, define it for you. Now you might say, wait a minute. So what would the alternative be? Are you saying I should let someone else define who I am? You're saying I should let someone else define for me who I am? That's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, just let that hang here for a second because to our modern ears, that sounds so wrong. I mean, that sounds like modern heresy, doesn't it? Let someone else define who I am. I'll define myself, thank you very much. I'm not going to let someone else define me for who I am. That would be total heresy. But that's exactly what I'm saying. And I, I'm not saying let anyone. I'm saying there's one. Not your spouse. Not your boyfriend or girlfriend. Not your parents. Not your friends. Not a coach. Not a leader. Not a mentor. Not a church. Not you, but the one who made you. I mean, isn't there a little bit of logic to that, that the one who invented me and created me would have the right to define me and maybe the best perspective and the best insight into defining who I am? In fact, when I'm thinking about life, I'm thinking about how precious this life is. I mean, how much do I really, I mean, I know what's inside of me. I know that there's brokenness inside of me. I know that there's times I'm wrong. I know that there's ways in which I, I'm either insecure or self-centered or prideful. Like, I, I, no one would say they're perfect. I mean, really, how much do I trust myself with something so precious as life? I mean, doesn't it make more sense put it in the hands of the one who made me? Yeah, but man, if I do that, I mean, it's just, that sounds so like, like confining, restraining. I mean, it sounds like I just feel like I'm handcuffed. I can't determine what I want 
for my life? That just sounds like I'd be in a straitjacket. But listen to what Jesus said. I want to read you one more thing that Jesus said. Here's his words. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, what does that say? Free. Jesus is saying, I'm not trying to restrain you and confine you. I'm trying to free you. He says, when, you, when a crisis stirs up in your life, when something's threatening to sink you, and all we have to go back to is what we can find inside, the brokenness inside, the uncertainty inside, the insecurity inside, the pride and selfishness inside, if that is all I have to lean on, I'm going to get stuck in the same broken patterns I find myself in. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to break you out. I'm trying to give you something more firm for you to anchor your life to, the real truth. See, here's what Jesus is saying. Pilate's saying, what is truth? And Jesus standing before him is modeling that truth is not a what. Truth is a who. He is the truth. If there's one thing to walk out of this text, if you're taking notes, write this down. If there's one thing to walk out of the text knowing about truth, truth is someone to surrender to. It's Jesus, and we surrender to him. I don't know what kind of choppy waters are starting to get stirred up in your life as you came in here today. Maybe it's a relational collision that you're trying to avoid or dealing with. Maybe you're you're dating someone, and, and you've been dating them for a long time, but it just started to get rocky. And now you've got questions. You're saying, man, I, am I supposed to be with this person? Am I, is this the person that I'm, that I'm meant for? I don't know because there's things that feel like I am supposed to be there. There's things that I'm not supposed to be there. And here's what the world tells us to do. It says just look inside your heart and you'll know. Look inside. What do you feel is right? What feels right to you? Can I plead with you? Don't look inside. Look to Jesus. What does Jesus want for you? Please, look to your creator, the worker of miracles, the one sustaining the universe, the one who loves you more than you can imagine. Can you look to him? How about maybe you're, you're navigating through the choppy waters of, of brokenness in your marriage? Do you know what our world says about love? Our world's view of love how do I know if I'm in love? Well, I just, I just never felt like this before. I mean, I can't eat. I can't sleep. I just think about this person all the time. Our world defines love by the most unpredictable, fickle part of our lives, our emotions. And we feel like if those emotions spike enough, I must be in love. And so we operate as a culture with this view of love because we look inside to just see if we feel like we're in love. And so we operate with this view of love as if it's something we fall into and something we fall out of and we can't help it. And so some marriages come to this point where, we, where, where they say, man, I just, I, I, I feel different now. I must have fallen out of love. Please don't look inside. Look to Jesus. He is the truth. Do you know what Jesus said about love? He said, I'll tell you exactly. It's not a mystery. I will tell you what love is. He says, love is laying your life down and sacrificing it for another. 
Can you let Jesus' truth for marriage be released in your marriage? And watch what he does with that. Please look to Jesus. He is the truth. Truth is not found inside. It's a person. It's Jesus. Look to Jesus. Maybe the crisis that's brewing in your life is one that's at work. And maybe right now it's a coworker or a boss or a mentor or just an industry and you're at a crossroads. You're facing a collision where you say, look, if I'm going to get ahead, then, I, then what I'm being told is I've got to fudge the numbers here. I've got to cut corners here. I've got to maneuver this way. I can't be completely honest here. And so that's what the industry is. I mean, if I'm going to get ahead, I mean, that's what I got to do. And I mean, it's just not as simple as, as I know what the Bible is saying. What, what Jesus' word is telling me is that I need to operate with integrity. And so you're deciding, well, what do I feel? And so you're, you're saying, what am I going to do? Well, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be successful. I feel like I'm supposed to advance. And so we go with what feels right. I feel like this is going to be okay. I feel like God's okay with it. And so we go with, with truth inside This is okay for me. I'm going to define my own truth. Please, don't look for truth inside. Look to Jesus and conform what's inside to Jesus. Maybe what's happening in your life is you're processing through your life goals and your dreams and your plans for your life. And you're saying, look, I've got these dreams. and, And what I'm being told is, man, don't give up on your dreams for your life. These are your goals and you can do it. But you know what I want? I've got one life. I've got one life to give. I want far more than anything that I can dream for myself. I want God's dream for my life. I want what he's got planned for my life. I want far more than what I can accomplish. I want the miracles that he can do through me. You know what, church, I want for us as a church is not us walking out of these walls and going into the city and us just accomplishing what we can accomplish. What I dream about is what God can do when he is moving with miraculous power through each one of us here in the city. That's when we're going to see something that we never even imagined. Don't settle for the truth inside. Desire a bigger truth the truth that is outside of you, the truth that is a person, it's Jesus Christ. Run to that truth and conform what is inside. Your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs, your dreams, your goals, your actions, your relationships, every part of you conform it to the truth that is the person of Jesus. And you say, look, man, you can imagine that that's a pretty big ask. Give it all up for Jesus? I mean, why would I trust Jesus with all of that? Let me just read you how the story plays out. I'm going to close with this. This is John 18, 39. Here's what Pilate says next to the angry crowd. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. See what we learned from other 
context about this story is um, Barabbas was a pretty notorious guy. He wasn't just a robber, as it says here. It says he was also a murderer. He was a thief. He was an insurrectionist. You know, the things that Jesus was being accused of. And so I want you to see this scene. You've got Pilate. He's got two men that are being discussed with this crowd. On one hand, you've got this murdering, rebellious thief. And on the other hand, you have someone who's completely innocent, and Pilate knows it. But what makes this even more interesting is the name Barabbas, because his name's meaning is, is really profound for this moment. His name, um, Bar Abbas, Bar means son, like as in Bar Mitzvah, and Abbas means father, like Abba. And so the name of this man on this side is Barabbas, son of the father. And so we've got this man here, this notorious, wicked, rebellious son of the father. And on this hand, we've got the true son of the heavenly father, who's completely innocent. And what happens is the guilty man goes free. He releases Barabbas. And the innocent man gets condemned to death. He's crucified on a cross. He dies instead of the guilty man. Isn't that your story? It's my story. That almighty God looks down at earth and he sees me. You know who I am? An insurrectionist. God has rights over, over my life. He made me. I am by right his. And so when I say no thanks, I'm going to live my life the, my own way. I'm actually in rebellion to the true king. He looks down at me and sees a rebel and he says, but I love him. And he looks down at you and says, I love you. And he says, I want to make you into a son or a daughter of almighty God. And so instead he sent his true son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And he dies, though he was innocent, he dies in my place. And I, who was guilty, go free. Why would you trust Jesus with your life? Don't you see how much he loves you? Look at that tortured figure on the cross and see someone who loves you more than you can imagine. See one who is able and powerful enough to defeat sin, put away guilt and shame, offer you perfect, everlasting forgiveness, and defeat death itself. Look to that one and find one more than worthy of surrendering your entire life to. I don't know what you walked in here with, and you're maybe saying, look, I... Part of me wants to surrender to Jesus. I'm ready. I, I know that I can make a mess of my life, but I know that if I take that step, I've got to give this up because I know that, that God doesn't want me to have this in my life and I have to give this up. Can I plead with you? Surrender. Turn from that. Run away from that sin and run to Jesus, your truth. Surrender to him and find the life and freedom that you've been always looking for. I want to lead you in a time of prayer. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes? If you're watching online, just take a moment and bow your heads. If you're ready to take that step and maybe for the first time surrender to Jesus and know that you're saved for eternity, let me lead you in this simple prayer. Just quietly make this prayer your own. Say, Jesus, I believe that you saved me.
I believed you died on the cross and that pays for my sins. I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I believe that I will spend eternity in heaven because of what you did. I surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.